Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brand. As FCB celebrates its 150th anniversary, it's continuing to keep its work fresh and its client relationships strong. After longtime global CEO Carter Murray stepped down last year, North America CEO Tyler Turnbull took on his role and global CCO Susan Creedle became chair. The two credit the smoothness of the transition to good succession planning. FCB keeps its creative product fresh by sticking to the fundamentals of creating enduring brands while using data and technology to apply creativity to new places through its fast-growing FCB6 practice. In this episode, Turnbull and Creedle also talk about the benefits of growing organically with clients through project work and how the agency is attracting and retaining talent. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Susan and Tyler. How are you both today? So great to have you here. Doing pretty well. Doing great. Thanks for having us. Of course. So it's an exciting year for FCB, 150th anniversary. Um, That is a long time, but the agency is also still growing. You grew double digits in North America in 2022. So talk about like the way that you sort of balance this legacy with innovation and just where the momentum is coming from as you sort of hit this milestone. Sure. I mean, I think it, as you say, Allison, it's very special to be 150 years old. I mean, I think in an industry that continually recognizes new, latest, greatest, most innovative, it's pretty special to have such a long legacy. And I think for us at FCB, our founding principles of believing in creativity as an economic multiplier are as true today as they were 150 years ago. And one of the stories that we tell a lot, and I'd love for for Susan to tell it because she does it so beautifully, is our founder's story with Albert Lasker and the type of work that, you know, that we did 150 years ago and how that kind of translates into who we are today. Yeah, I, I think that one thing is is that in the in the effort to be new and innovative, sometimes we throw away the principles that keep us current. Um, And we always like to think that no one's done it the way we're doing it today. And looking back at Albert Lasker, first of all, I find it fascinating. He was always going around asking, what is advertising? What is, you know, at first when, when Lord and Thomas was first created or founded, it was really a media placement company. It was, it's, it, they, they bought media and they put some words in front of it. And that Lasker kept saying, there's got to be something bigger that we're doing. And I think that's where he, stumbled upon the concept of creativity applied. And one of the first places that uh, we see sort of what drives us is the story about the California orange producers. And they came to to Lord and Thomas, which eventually became FCB, and asked um, how asked Lasker, like, how are we going to sell California oranges over Florida oranges? And he said, you know, you can't be rational. You got to make an emotional connection, which I think is right there where we all believe when we're creative, we make an emotional connection, laughter, anger, you know, uh, joy, whatever. Um, and he said, we're going to call your oranges sunkissed. And what we would call that today is a timeless idea, sunkissed. It's still around, you know, from the day he said, let's call your oranges sunkissed, um, it has survived. That is a timeless creative idea. But then they came to him a, a later and said, we have a business problem. Uh, our oranges were quite prolific and we need people to eat at least an orange a day or they're all going to rot. And he went away and he came back. He said, I don't think I can get people to eat 
an orange a day, but I think I can get him to use three. He said, I've been looking at it. It takes three oranges to squeeze, to make a little glass of orange juice. So we're going to tell people to drink an orange and we're going to create a product called orange juice. And because it's sun-kissed oranges, we're going to sell it as an energy drink in the morning. So sun-kissed oranges make a great way to start your day with when you drink an orange. And there was a famous campaign at the time that they wrote called Drink an Orange. So that's a timely business solution with creativity applied, but built through the lens of the timeless brand. And that's what we try to do today. It's like, where can we build a brand platform that's timeless? And then how can we tell chapters in that platform that serve the business need, the cultural need, the business opportunity, the cultural opportunity? So this timely and timeless relationship has been around since the beginning of the company, and we're just leaning hard into it uh, today. Yeah, I love that because I love the story about the oranges because it really gets to like a campaign is not just for a campaign's sake, right? Like creative is not just for creativity's sake. It's like the business has a problem. Let's come up with a creative way to solve it. And that might mean making a new product. That might mean, you know, it might mean a campaign, but I, I love that sort of idea of like looking at the business problem first. Right. Well, um, it's, it's, it's amazing that we don't do more of that, you know, and I think we did before television became a dominant media. I think once television was so dominant, it was like, we just need TV commercials and we can reach mass and we can say what we need to say. <clears throat> I think today this landscape is much more fragmented. So you need a timeless platform to hold everything together. And then we need to be in the room with our clients saying, where are those opportunities and and problems that we can apply creativity to? So I always say that crisis is a catalyst for creativity. Um, It's it's my favorite thing. If you tell me something's gone wrong, we're going to get so creative to turn that thing into an asset. So like, you know, if you think about Michelob Ultra and Courtside, that was absolutely born out of a crisis. You know, Michelob Ultra is their first NBA sponsorship and there's no fans in the stands. There's real, and LeBron saying, I don't want to play, you know, it, it was not a good situation. And courtside was the creativity born from that crisis uh, that figured out a way to put people in the stands and make the players feel like they were supported. Yeah, I think the, the other example that I love, Allison, because um, I think you nailed it. I think we have gotten away from solving business problems with creativity. And I think some of that has been, been the digital and the technology revolution, right? This kind of belief that if we just are as efficient as possible and as targeted as possible, we can buy results. And one of my favorite examples that we've done in the last couple of years was Whopper Detour for Burger King. Right. I mean, that business problem was very specific. More and more people were buying in app versus going in store. And Burger King had a a legacy app that historically they would buy performance installs. Right. That was kind of the the jour at the time by by a set of kind of Facebook ads and and pay per install. And when they came to our team in New York, who is amazing, our New York team came back and said, well, what if we geofenced every McDonald's in the US. And if you installed the Burger King app and went to a McDonald's, we would give you a Whopper for, you know, a cent or for 99 cents. And through creativity, that idea had more installs in the following 12 weeks than the previous five years. 
And so it's those mm-hmm. examples, I think, when we can really take a business problem and apply some unique thinking that you see exponential results on. And that really is what drives us to, you know, where we are today. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that, um, you know, how you're applying creativity in different contexts. But first, another thing that's sort of changed over the past year is the FCB leadership. Um, You know, Carter Murray stepped down, Tyler, you were, you took on his role as global CEO, Susan, you became chair. What has this all meant for the agency? And um, you know, how it's going to grow and position itself in the future. Well, I think, I think the first thing we need to do is give a big shout out to Carter Murray. Absolutely. Because he joined and ha- was on a mission to bring FCB back to the creative days that throughout its 150 years has enjoyed. And he knew it was in the DNA and he made some bold moves um, and, and two of those moves were to hire Tyler who said no for, I think, how long Tyler, did you say no? About nine months. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did, I, I said yes a little bit more quickly because I was just fascinated by his energy and his just drive to do something that, that felt extraordinary. And it says a lot about succession planning. I think Carter had identified Tyler as his successor. I think the day he hired him. And so when all of this changed, the leadership changed, there wasn't a lot of change. I mean, we had to deal with size, and mm-hmm. but we all knew the playbook. We all knew what we had signed up for and we were all on the same mission. So, um, and then I, you know, I, I obviously stayed for continuity from the, the global team that was and the global team that was to become. Uh, but I mean, I think Tyler and I looked at each other last January and going, okay, how are we going to do this? And I don't think it was quite as hard as we thought it was going to be. I mean, we had, we had to lean in, but um, like I said, when you have leadership, that's not suddenly coming in and disrupting, but we're just evolving and continuing. Um, it's been, it's, it's been exciting. I think Allison, one of the things that um, we talk about a lot in FCB is not being an agency defined by one person, right. By being a true team, that uh, has a shared vision, a shared ambition, a shared language and set of tools that we work with around the world, Um, but also a shared independence, right? If you're running one of our agencies, we want you to be able to build the agency you've always wanted to work for. And I think a big part of that um, was the ambition that Carter set in place when he joined the company in 2013. And I think a focus that we've had on proper succession planning ever since. I mean, Susan and I and our global leadership team, as well as IPG, we are very, very focused on succession as a company um, because we know that, you know, no one, no one's in their position forever. And we want to make sure that all transitions are handled as smoothly as possible. And so for us, I think to have such a natural kind of transition last year, Um, was special. And for me personally, it was as well, because I just, you know, Susan and I had worked together for years. Uh, I'd been able to oversee our North American operations for three years, you know, running into this role. Um, And so it wasn't kind of a a huge transition or challenge in the way it would have been, I think, if someone externally had had come in. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. We're all watching Succession, right? So we know how messy it can be. It's amazing. (laughs) It's a little less dramatic than that. Yeah, thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So Tyler, why did you say no for nine months? <laughs> you know, this is, it's an interesting story. So I was, um, Carter and I met each other when we both worked in Europe. So I used to, I lived in London, um, and we were at another holding company at that point. And, uh, I moved back to Canada because my wife, um, got a residency position. She's a, a family doctor here. And I just taken on a new role, um, at another company. I'd been promoted to, uh, president and Carter called me a couple of months later and he's like, you're the only Canadian I know. Do you want to run draft FCB in Toronto? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and he, and so a couple of months later he called me he's like, come to New York, you know, let's meet. He's a very, uh, he's a very amazing salesperson. And so we met in New York in kind of February and, um, he tried again and I said, you know, look, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of this role and my uh, partner, Jen and I were just about to have our, our first baby. And, uh, we kind of went through another couple of months and I actually got my offer to join FCB on, uh, June 22nd, uh, which was the day my first, uh, my daughter Isabel was born and it was wow. very, um, it was a very challenging delivery. Um, very scary, uh, we were in the hospital for uh, a number of days afterwards, just making sure she was okay. And she, and she was thankfully. Um, but during that period, I started to reflect on kind of the journey I'd been on with Carter and Cindy, who was our, our head of talent at the time and just the way that they treated me. And they'd had a, this offer kind of out for, you know, this role had been open for 18 months and they didn't put any pressure on me to kind of, you know, come back on this open offer that was in my inbox. And, in my other environment, I felt a real pressure to kind of get back to work, to get back into it, to report, you know, my numbers and to do, and to do the updates. And after a couple of weeks, I called them and just said, look, if this is how you treat a prospective candidate, um, going through something very difficult, then it's absolutely an environment I want to be a part of. And so I joined, um, in October after that. Yeah. I love that story because it shows like, you know, there's so much conversation going on around, benefits and parental leave and, and just how we treat staff. And I think hearing that story about childbirth, a difficult childbirth from a man is really important, right? Because like you needed that time too to be with your wife. Um, I just think it speaks a lot of, to a really important issue. For sure. I think, you know, and, and Susan is such a great advocate of this. I think, I think at times we can lose the humanity in our industry, right? And not be, I think as empathetic, as generous, um, as open as we can be with our teams, because everyone's going through something different personally. There are many, many issues that everyone's experiencing. And I think when I look at the last three years, those have only been heightened, right? In terms of how we're working, where we're working, when we're working, all of those issues. And so I think, you know, big, we talk about our turnaround in the last, you know, six, seven years. And I think in many ways, we've talked about it from, Historically, a you know a business perspective, new client wins. Obviously, our creative product being amazing, but I think a lot of our secret weapon has been how we've treated the people that work with us, um, and then how mm. we respect what they're going through, and and we try to be, we try to create an environment that they want to be in um, and be a part of long term. Yeah, I want to um, dig into more talent stuff later, but first, back to this sort of new leadership structure. There's now no longer a North American CEO of FCB. So why is that? Look, I think it was a natural evolution from where we were. I think as I progressed into this role, we have some phenomenal leaders in North America. Um, uh, we promoted Emma 
uh, Armstrong, who leads our New York office, uh, Kelly Graves, who leads our Chicago Chicago office, and Brian Kane, uh, who leads our Canadian group, to CEO um, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, I think, after uh, I was elevated into this role. And because the three of them and are their CCO partners and CSOs had been so collaborative for the past three years, it just seemed like the right kind of evolution for where we were at this point as a company. Yeah. And I, I, we should be clear that, you know, Tyler brought in Brian and Emma. So, uh, you know, we, we were confident in the leadership at this moment. Um, whereas before I don't, Mm -hmm. not sure we quite understood how North America was working together. And I also think it was a stepping stone for Tyler to step into the global CEO job. So, um, that, you know, that's, I think it, it did. All, it was the right thing to do at the right time with the North America CEO today because we have such strong leadership in each of our North America offices, and they are collaborative. You know, Absolutely. they have, they have learned to collaborate, and now we when now we're dealing with collaboration on a global scale, not just a North America scale. So, it, yeah, I, I don't. I think it was important at the time and not as necessary today. Got it. So one thing that really stood out about. Um, FCB's year last year when we were doing our agency performance reviews is just how like sticky your client base is and how you focus on organic growth just as much as new business. Talk about your philosophy there, because obviously I think, you know, most, most of our listeners here know that getting caught up in the new business pitching cycle can be very, um, exhausting, right? And and it takes a lot of resources to pitch. So talk about how you balance your client base and organic growth with new business opportunities. I think the first thing is, is that we encourage, you know, each of our agencies to really look at the new business opportunity and decide, is it mutually beneficial? And if you look at new business as desperate, like we're desperate, we have to say yes to everything. I think you end up losing. I think when you're looking for the right relationships and the right partnerships and you don't say yes to everything and you have some rules internally about what you will pitch and what you won't, I think that that gets you to a much healthier place. And it's hard. I mean, it's real. It's, it's very hard when people call, you want to say yes to everything. Um, and then I've always loved the organic growth because Today, you know, we see less and less AOR, you know, um, pitches and, uh, who better to go in, you know, to creative, you know, ideation with than people that, you know, and they know you. And I really do think great creative comes out of partnerships, which are built not only on trust, but on knowledge. You know, it's like, we talk about understanding the business and solving business problems. We can't be a business partner if we're just popping in. Um, but if we start to understand the culture, the company, their, their, where they feel pain, where they don't feel pain, then suddenly we can get to, to better creative faster. And so it's always, you know, a testament when a client says, we'd like to give you more business that we're, we're being the right partner to them, you know, and a lot of times, you know, let's all be honest. Pitches can be a little bit like Hollywood, a little bit like you're on the set, but there's nothing behind the set. Um, you know, you bring your best game and then you never see that game again. You Sometimes you never see that team again. So I just, sometimes I feel like pitches feel that they're, they're, they're not as real as organic growth. And we try, and we try really hard to keep our pitches as real as possible. Like who's in the room, what we're doing, how we're going to think about this business. But, um, 
Yeah, I, I'm a big organic growth believer. And, you know, also another thing that gets new business is the work you put out there. Absolutely. And when we do great work and our clients are talking about how they like to work with us, it's a small business. It gets around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, Allison, I, I think as an industry, when we think about growth, we think about new wins, right? We think about the headlines, <laughs> either, you know, in campaign, we think about kind of big. Well, I do. Right? <laughs> but, but I think, I think growth is two things. It's, it's which clients have you maintained that haven't kind of gone out the door in the last year, as well as which clients have you brought in? And as a, as a network, we've always been focused on our existing partners, A, because they've invested in us, right? And they have teams. Um, but B, as Susan said, great creative work takes time and trust to build. And when you look at some of our best work, Michelob Ultra as an example, right? Long-term client, I think we're on nine years with them now. Um, work that we've done with Bank of Montreal from a Canadian context. I mean, that's similar time frame. You know, many of our partners have been with us 20, 30 years or so. And I think in many cases, our best work has been done in years 5, 10, 15, right? And so I think it's just a powerful way not only to help our business, but to but to make great work and, and drive great results year in and year out for our partners. I was just reading something this last week about the importance of patience when it comes to creative and that patience, it takes patience to really get to something interesting and great. And I don't think we hear that word at all um, in our business. And it's one that we need, we need to give a little bit more attention to um, because the patience will get you more substantial, stronger results in the end, I think. Well, I was going to ask, like, do you think clients are leaning more into organic growth now? Like, do they sort of see that benefit or is the industry overall sort of still a little bit more like new business, new, 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 like repitch, find it, find a fresh idea? I don't find that clients love pitching. It's a big time investment. It's a financial investment. It's emotional. I'm not sure that, you know, it's not, yeehaw, we get to pitch. I, I see why some... People embrace it, but I, I, pitching's hard for everybody. Um, and I think if we can find new ways and especially with the AOR being not the, the, the modus operandi as much today, I think that, you know, I always say that I think the smartest way for how we work is to, to date towards a real, you know, a more permanent relationship. I think that you do want to, in the end, be in a partnership that feels secure and trusted. You don't want to feel like you're up against other agencies and jump balling things all the time. That's not going to lead to great creative either. Um, but I do think that there are new ways to think about how you get to know agencies, how you get to know clients, and is it the right relationship without ma- making a major investment in one moment in time. Yeah. We'll talk about, like you mentioned, like the AOR is not as common as it once was, like, how are you maintaining longevity with clients as AOR contracts are less common? I think in, in, in many ways, we're applying the same kind of mentality that we did from an AOR perspective to more project-based work, which is delivering results, right? It's just proving again, whether we're on a, you know, a fixed period for three months, or we have a three-year AOR agreement, the mentality is the same to do our best work on our biggest brands and to deliver mm-hmm. economic growth. I think in many ways, what we're seeing from a new business perspective is 
the project-based relationship, it can be as beneficial to us as it is to a client, right? I mean, instead of going through a large protracted nine-month pitch process in some cases, um, starting on a journey together and just say, hey, let's do a project. Let's see what this relationship could be like. Let's see how we fit together and if we've got the same shared ambition. And if that works, then let's do another one and another one and another one. Mm -hmm. But the fundamentals, I think, are still about doing great creative, doing great creative work. Well, I think the important thing too, is that if you come in on a project basis, we apply what we were talking about at the beginning, which is understanding the brand and understanding the business. So if we respect the brand and, and like we do not try to change purpose and platforms of brands that are established, we lean into them and say, okay, if you have a platform um, that you have built your your brand around. Let's embrace it and think. Okay, does it do? Do we need to, you know, modernize that? Do we need to make it relevant again? Has it lost its luster? And if if the answer is no, we're fine. Then it's okay. Then let's lean that brand point of view in the world towards business problems and opportunities. But no matter what, mm-hmm. if we come in understanding businesses and brands, which I do not think are synonyms, I think they're different. They're different things. Um, I think we we become a trusted partner, and in that trusted partner, even if we don't have a ring on our finger, so to speak, we are in a a long term relationship. And that's the slight mm. difference between AOR. AOR is you got a ring on your finger. Um, without the AOR, you're in a trusted partnership that you hope, you know, both, both, both parties. It's more modern. It's more modern. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not all the paperwork, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the creativity piece. Obviously, you know, FCB is world renowned for its creativity, one network of the year in Cannes. Uh, in 2021, you've won the Titanium Line three years in a row. Talk about how you consistently keep the bar high. And then also, I would love if you could talk a little bit about FCB6 and how your view on creativity is broadening to include different places and, and mediums. Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing is, you know, when I first got to FCB, it was like, okay, we just got to get our creative reputation back in the right place. And I would say that, you know, it was, you know, just any place you thought you could apply creativity, let's do it. Let's just practice the, the ability to be creative, um, within a marketing, you know, business. And then we started applying some discipline to that. And we sort of said, uh, you know, how can we get lucky more often? And what that, the first thing that we did is that we set up a benchmarking tool called the four, five, six. And it's a simple, it's not really a scale. It's, it's really what kind of work do we want to do on our best day? And by being clear, you know, everybody says, I want to see our work has to be original or it has to be world changing or where are we going to define the kind of work that we want to do for our clients? And so the CCOs around the world, I spent probably three months when I got to, to FCB talking about the kind of work we really thought would be great for the industry. And we came up with three things that we'd like to do on our best day, which is be provocative. And that does not mean be shocking. It just means be interesting. You know, make me lean in and care. And that could be how you use media. It could be how you produce something. It could be who you produce something with. I mean, but what is a provocation that makes me curious about what you're doing? 
co-create, make sure that when you have that provocative idea that you bring in a co-creation piece. Everybody's a maker today. We all have editing capacity capabilities. It's like invite people in to participate in your idea, not just buy your product or, you know, um, join your business. Uh, that obviously is, you know, what we're in the business to do, but like, can you get earned media through people by, you know, intentionally putting a co-creation idea on top of it? And then the six is what we call never finished ideas, but it really is building platforms for brands that are long-term timeless. And so if we're interesting, co-create and support a brand long-term in the work that we put out there, we feel like we've probably got the kind of work that will make our industry incredibly valued and important to clients. And so we started with that. And I think it is interesting for, for companies, clients and agencies to really agree on what great work is. When we say great work, I don't know what that means. So within your company, define what that means. And then we added best work on biggest brands because we didn't want, you know, your 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 brother-in-law who has a sub shop that will end up doing some cool stuff with you because he doesn't really care to be what was booing us up from a creative lens. So we started doing that. And, you know, I remember when we declared that that's what we were going to do, um, one of the creatives said, well, that's going to be real hard. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up. So here we go. And, you know, we started with, you know, again, building relationships with clients, asking them to go on the journey, identifying who in a company had a creative appetite and a creative belief. Not, not just the CMO, but is anybody in the company on board that creativity will make them famous, will make, will make their business better. So we identified those people and it started working. And then we added, can you do your best work on biggest brands and prove it was an economic multiplier? So that's the, that's the one that we added next. And now this year, we're asking our agencies to look at where their clients are spending the most money and can they apply their best creative to that? Because we see what's happening in the industry is that when you're doing earned media, everybody's about doing great creative because they've got to earn, they've got to, they've got to do something interesting enough that people will take it and make it their own and pass it around. But when they buy media, for some reason, we think, well, that, that creative doesn't have to be as good because we're buying our way into people's lives. And I think that that's a big problem with our industry. It's like where, where, advertising is showing up the most with media support should be where we apply our best creative. So that's our next yeah. goal. <laughs> well, and really I, think point, <laughs> I think to that point, Susan and Allison, this gets to kind of FCB six, the second half of your question. It's we saw, you know, we've seen in the last 10 years, more and more clients investing in performance marketing areas, right. In kind of very commerce focused or digital focused or own platforms and I'm sure you experience and all your listeners experience the creativity or lack thereof in your own feeds every day, right? It's very, I would say, we would call it a two on our scale, very invisible, I think, type of type of creative. And so our thesis a number of years ago was if we have some of the best creative and strategic talent in the world, how can we expand the canvas for creativity into the spaces that maybe clients aren't as focused on spaces like email, spaces like search, spaces like performance. And so what we did is we hired some amazing specialist experts, people like Tina Allen, who's our global head of data science and connections. 
And what Tina is able to do is she's able to partner with all of our agencies around the world to really show them how creativity can be applied. If you've invested in Salesforce, as an example, for a, for a client, or you're spending a huge percentage of your budget in search, and that's led to work like uh, McEnroe versus McEnroe, as an example, you know, very technology data infused. It's led to work like trend to table, you know, a, a piece of work that we did that was very TikTok influencer based um, for a brand called Voila in Canada. It's led to, I think, very, very interesting work in, I think, traditional environments that are more kind of MarTech, ad tech based that haven't really seen it. One of my favorite things to do, and, and Susan and I do this all the time with CMOs and CEOs, is when they tell us about kind of their new Mark, MarTech investments or their, you know, the stacks they've made, how efficient they can be from an audience planning perspective, and they get really excited, we say, that sounds amazing. Can we see the work? Can we see what your consumers are seeing? Because it sounds amazing. And then when we read the emails or we look at the site or we look at the presence, it's very, uh, I'd say, commoditized and very undifferentiated. And so really trying to extend our creativity into those spaces has been a priority of ours for a number of years. And we're seeing that kind of combination drive a lot of our growth um, in the last few years. But where I think you can make a very big mistake is thinking that this is a specialism Correct. It sits outside of the major agency. And we've had some issues in the last four years of people not understanding this is not something that you're going to grow inside the agency without the agency, specifically meaning creatives and, and business leaders need to understand this space and they need to apply what they understand about brand and building brand and solving problems creatively and apply it to these new spaces. And for a while we watched like people going, well, that's not my, that's not where I work. You work anywhere, apply creativity anywhere. And so they just have to be open to being educated about the power of it. And then once you see things like Whopper detour courtside, I mean, um, the, the Canadian Down Syndrome Society search mm -hmm. piece that was so beautiful uh, with Google when you, you know, somebody searched, you know, can can a Down Syndrome child ride a bike? And the first thing that pops up is an ad from a Down Syndrome child on a bike. Well, if they hadn't understood that space, they wouldn't have done that amazing creative that that launched a, a relationship ship that's so important to the world um, with um with down with the Canadian Down Syndrome Society and the work that they've done over the past decade together, but thinking that that stuff lives outside of the 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 general agency is a big mistake. Yeah, it's in support of. Um, well, I I was gonna actually ask you like, does eventually what FCB six does become the core of what FCB does because creative is changing in that way, right? Like we are spending more time on these different channels. Creative should be better when we're scrolling our emails and, you know, doing Google search and, you know, does that eventually infuse into what you are? And then as a tack onto that, like, what does that mean from a talent perspective? Yeah. I, well, first of all, I think creativity is, we talk about creativity with a capital C. The small C is, you know, comms, you know, some ads, ad lobs, whatever. Those are all important but to to shut ourselves off and say that's all we do then we would have never made orange juice you know and these new tools and these new spaces and these new platforms and the key is is that you have to you have to be in the right place at the right time the right way 
you know, it's not just, it, it can't be sloppy. We have, to, and that's what I love about FCB6 is that we're using data to say why we should be where we are, why it's important, what's happening, and what can we, through the lens of the brand, do in this space that becomes, gives us an unfair advantage in that, in that space. I mean, all space starts off equal. And then what you put in that space either gives you an advantage or a disadvantage. And creativity is yeah. about making that space have a, a much greater advantage for uh, our clients' investment. Mm. Yeah. So I know, Tyler, you listed on the performance review, one of the biggest challenges in the past year has been retaining great talent. I don't think you're alone in that. I think all agencies have felt that. Talk about what you're doing from a talent perspective. And I see, you know, both of you are at home today. Like, what are your staff in the office? Talk about how you're sort of evolving that framework. Well, we're, we're, very, we're a very small team globally. So <laughs> we, we, were, we were doing COVID hour, office hours um, before COVID, I, I believe. But I do think that the, <laughs> um, you know, the agencies themselves, they are, they are in the office. Yeah, Allison, I, I think a big, a big part of our retention approach, I think, especially amongst senior executives around the world, goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, which is giving our teams the maximum amount of independence we can to build their own company and to build their own agency and to not micromanage, to not be kind of in every single meeting every single day. I think I think if, if we were in that environment or if we had that environment historically a number of years ago, we never would have turned the business around, right? And because I think one of the things that makes us special is you know, not only what unifies us, but what makes New York, New York, or what makes Chicago, Chicago. And a lot of that are the individual leadership teams that are, are building their own companies. And so our belief is if we can support people and as a global team, not kind of make our leaders feel like they're coming to the you know mountaintop, so to speak, to <laughs> brief us every day, but to ask us for help when they need it. Um, on specific situations, we'll have a higher likelihood of, of retaining them over time. When it comes to how we work, um, a big part of that is, is up to our individual offices. In the U.S., um, we've gone back in most markets um, three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in office, Monday, Friday, optional. And in other markets, uh, we have different dynamics depending on kind of what the situations are there. Some, some markets were one or two days a week. Um, and others were more. So it's really dependent. But I think I think what we've seen specifically from a U.S. context is the quality of our work um, has gone up when we're together. And in many of our environments, that energy that you feel when you walk into an agency, um, that collaboration that you get when you're not scheduling a former, you know, a formal Teams call or Zoom call, those kind of ad hoc conversations and frankly, the efficiency that you see on those days is really um, special and interesting. So it's, yeah. it's, it's office dependent, but I, w I was in the New York office on Thursday and they, they got a call from a client that it wasn't like a big trouble call, but they needed to figure out something within the next five hours. And it was so much fun to watch the electricity of those, you know, what about this? No, hold on. I got it. All right, wait, hold on. You know, you could just feel the energy and you know, they had, 25 really bad ideas and then one bubble to the top and they're like, that's it. That's it. Go, 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 go. And it was just so much fun to watch the creative energy that you would never 
have gotten if they had all called in on a Zoom or had all sat in their spaces thinking about things. The other thing I think is really interesting about what Tyler was saying is that the autonomy of each agency, what's happening is because the agencies respect each other, what we do is it's almost like beta tests. It's like, uh, okay, Chicago's doing this. New York did this. Canada did this. New Zealand's trying this. India's doing this. London's got this going on. What happens is, is that we share the information and we all get better together. And, and again, like Tyler said, and it, it, there's specific things in market that might make a certain office choose certain things. But if we can see consistently what's working and giving us an advantage in, 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 in the agencies, we share it. And that way, you know, you, mm. you get to the better answer faster. Like people just coming in to come into the office randomly is not looking like it works at all. Whereas the agency coming in consistently on the consistent days, because early on in this coming back to work thing, there was a whole like, some people will come in on Tuesday, Thursday, some people will come on a Monday. No, I, I mean, I can, I can absolutely say that is a bad idea. That doesn't work. Um, it's about community. Right. And it's sort of, you know, adapting and iterating. Do you feel like talent is getting used to it coming back in? From what I've, the feedback I get is that this, this has, we, um, Chicago and New York came back really early. And I think that was a huge, uh, you know, it, it was brave. Uh, I, I'm, you know, if you were reading all the advice, they did the wrong thing. Um, you know, cause everybody's like, you got to give everybody the freedom or whatever. And I actually think that they got the structure, right. People are used to it. They didn't get their lives or, def- I think their lives are built around that structure. And, um, yeah, I think it's been a much more positive than a negative experience. And by the way, we still have to make room for there. There are going to be some individuals that simply do better work on their own terms. And I think we have to make room for that. You know, it's like, what we're what we're after is to give employees the very best experience that they can have for their career and in their life. And we do believe as a whole, more people do better in community. But we could always have outliers that say, you know, it shuts me down. I do better alone. I don't this is not. And, and, and if that's the case, I think we have to be open to allowing individuals you know, we, we want all these interesting thinkers to be a part of our company. And I think to, to not think about how they work best without having total chaos. Um, you know, I think you always have to say there are exceptions to all rules. Yeah. I give amazing credit to our teams in Chicago and New York for being as bold as, as they were, um, early on in, in kind of, the pandemic for for trying to experiment and, and bring people back. And I think what we've seen, I think a lot about it as someone young entering the business, right? In any department, how do you be seen? How do you experience new things, whether that be a new business pitch or a new opportunity? And a lot of that kind of organic nature happens when you're together. Uh, and so a lot of the feedback early on that we had from, I would say, our, our younger FCB team members was thankfulness that they could go back to an office, maybe leave a smaller apartment in New York or wherever they might be um, and have a space to collaborate in. So we've been very, I think, heartened by the response to the last two years. And the key, I think the key is, and and we have to remind ourselves is that the decisions we make are for the good of the people 
not the company. Like, you know, if you're, if you're saying I want people to come in cause I need to police them, that's not a good reason to make a decision. But if it's, we believe that the, this group of people will benefit, you know, in their lives by this decision, um, then, you know, you're, I think you're on the right path. Mm, for sure. Well, Susan Tyler, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm sure I could keep going for much longer, but, um, yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. We do have 150 years worth of content. So <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll have you back on then. <laughs> Allison, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for the interest. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. Great questions. Lovely to speak with you. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast.